Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Hi, I'm Kelly from Qualio, and I'm your host here at From Lab to Launch. We've published over 60 interviews with innovators in life sciences across the world. It's been so inspiring to hear the stories of perseverance and innovation to improve human health and save lives. If you've enjoyed our conversations, please consider subscribing and giving us a review on Apple or Spotify. And if you want to be on From Lab to Launch, please see the application linked in the show notes. So today we're going to deviate from our typical life sciences for just a few moments, just for fun, to talk about dogs. We've heard about dogs using their olfactory systems to detect biologic changes related to diseases. And having a bit of a soft spot for dogs ourselves here at Qualio, when our friend Kayla Fratt reached out to be on the show, we thought it would be fun to hear about her work in ecology. Kayla is the founder of Canine Conservationists and Journey Dog Training. She trains dogs to detect data for researchers, agencies, and NGOs. Along with the rest of the Canine Conservationists team, Kayla travels the world collecting data with her dogs and offering support to conservation detection dog programs. She also trains dogs and runs her own podcast for anyone looking for help with training their own dogs at home. See the show notes for more detail. And as a dog lover myself, I'm thrilled to chat with Kayla today and how dogs are leaving their paw prints on the world. Let's bring her in. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So you've got quite a background. Can you share a little bit more with us about your journey on how you got here? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's obviously a through line between both of these businesses and that's dogs. Um, So I grew up on a farm in Northern Wisconsin and was always kind of a a bit of an animal, um, animal lover as a kid. You know, I did 4-H and all that sort of stuff. Um, And I always kind of assumed I was going to go to school and be um, a biologist. I kind of thought I wanted to be a Jane Goodall sort of figure was the idea. And that is that's kind of where canine conservationists came about was basically I have always loved being able to interact with animals and train them and work with them hands on. And that's not necessarily a reality in conservation or ecology research. Um, generally, nowadays, we don't spend a lot of time interacting with our study species anymore. So when I heard about the field of conservation detection dogs, I pretty much immediately was like, oh my gosh, that's what I want to be doing with my life. That's perfect. I had been training dogs professionally for a couple of years already at the point that I'd heard about it. And I was most of the way through my degree in ecology. So it just really clicked into place, but it took took a while to kind of figure out how to get from that point of hearing about the field and knowing that it's what I wanted to do to actually being able to break into the field and now running my own thing. Nice. Nice. That's an interesting story too. Ecology. That's kind of ties it all together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell us a bit more then about how canine conservationists can contribute to life sciences in general, maybe ecology specifically. Yeah. Yeah, so basically the the field of conservation detection dogs is based on the premise that there are always gaps in whatever method we're using to study the world. Say you want to study an endangered animal and you want to know how many of them there are. Kind of a basic question. We need to know how many there are in order to know whether that population is gaining 
gaining numbers or losing numbers and, you know, all sorts of really, really basic stuff. But it's a lot harder to actually count animals out of the wild than you'd think. Um, so that's one of the main ways that conservation detection dogs can be useful is they're often kind of involved in projects where you might have a camera trap set up, which is just a camera that you would like strap to a tree. It's motion activated. And then you can kind of use that to figure out how many bobcats are in an area or how many tigers or whatever it is. But those can often be really slow to actually detect something. So there was a study and I might get this a little bit wrong, but basically they it took eight weeks for a camera trap to actually get a photo of a um, of a bobcat that was in an area versus taking a detection dog. That dog found the scat within just um, two days of searching. So it's a lot faster in some cases. And then they're also able to detect different sorts of data. So for example, in the case of that bobcat, if you get a picture of a bobcat, then you say, okay, great. It looks like we've got one male bobcat in this area. Well, let's leave the camera trap up for a bit longer, see if we find any more. But that's kind of all you know. Obviously, I'm, I'm simplifying a little bit there. But the dogs are trained to actually find the poop. And what we can do with the poop of a bobcat is we can figure out what he's been eating, what his hormone levels are like. We may be able to see what diseases he has, what parasites he has. If we take the dogs out in a big wide area, we can figure out how many different places he's pooping and therefore where he's moving, hypothetically then where he's not moving. So there's just all sorts of stuff from the animal lens that we can pick up from these dogs. Um, and again, they're kind of part of a big team effort for studying those animals. And then our conservation dogs can also be used for all sorts of other things. So they can be used with invasive species um, where they're kind of helping find any invasive plants that are left over after an eradication effort has already started. They can be used in toxicology to try to find diseases. You know, we've seen that with COVID, which isn't necessarily in the conservation realm, but um, there are other diseases that definitely fall within that realm. And there's, there's just, there's dozens and dozens of applications. Um, I think there was a recent paper published that had about 961 different targets um, oh. listed in that paper as it was like a big literature review. So I'm obviously not going to go into all of them, but hopefully that gives you and your listeners a, a bit of an overview. No, absolutely. And and I have, you know, I'm familiar with the idea of, of the dogs detecting COVID and of course being, you know, life sciences industry, we're always really interested in, are there ways to go about, you know, like sniffing out certain types of cancers and, and those mm -hmm. kinds of things mm -hmm. to help to help with that detection. So um, I, I guess along those lines, then uh, tell me a little bit about some of the most memorable or impactful projects that you've been involved in. Yeah. So right now for canine conservationists specifically, um, we're doing a lot of work with capacity building for other organizations. So the kind of niche we've been operating in is if you're another smaller organization that is partway through, through training your dogs and you've hit a roadblock, we kind of get to come in and help out. Um, and then we've also been doing a lot of work with maybe like there's a single biologist who's working on training their dog, but they're running into roadblocks. We've been really working on kind of helping to step in and fill those gaps, which has been really cool as a way to kind of expand our reach and get more impact because as much as we love doing the field work, we're just three, three women and four dogs. We can't do it all. <laughs> um, so my favorite project so far has been, we got to spend about three months between the three of us in um, Northern Kenya this year, working with a program called Action for Cheetahs in Kenya. They have two conservation detection dogs that are obviously trained to work with cheetahs um, or find cheetah scat. 
Um, and what they had run into is that they had 100% turnover on their team. So they had nobody experienced left on the team after COVID. Um, and it is a very small team. It's two or three people max. So it's it's not like they lost 18 people all at once, but still. Um, so they were just in this position where they had two well-trained dogs, but no humans who knew how to do anything with them and nobody to mentor these new handlers. So we kind of came in and um, helped them out for about three months. And um, I just submitted two grant proposals to hopefully go back and continue working with them more. Um, one of the things we do really struggle with in this in this field is just funding. Um, conservation is chronically underfunded and working with conservation dogs can be expensive. There's a lot of upkeep and maintenance and they're not a tool that you can just kind of like program, use for a season, throw in the closet, come back, use it again next season. So there is a lot of expense involved and what we have definitely been struggling with um, in a variety of ways is figuring out how to get the funding needed in order to do this, these projects really well. Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing um, shifts, you know, in, in funding in general for all sorts of things in this current economic climate. So it's uh, unfortunate to hear you guys are being hit with that too. Do you focus on specific dog breeds or just any dog? Both. Uh, yes, and. Um, so <laughs> we generally, what we're looking for are dogs that are really easily motivated to work. Um, so generally, that means we're looking for dogs that are like over the top obsessed with Frisbees or tennis balls or are maybe just big old chow hounds. So that we've kind of got something that we can easily put in our pocket and reward them for their hard work and keep them focused. Generally, that means we do tend to err on the side of dogs that are really obsessed with toys, which means we tend to get a lot of the same breeds. So we get a lot of Border Collies, Labs, Shepherds, Spaniels, and kind of mixes of those breeds. Basically, any dog breed has the olfactory capabilities to do this. So it's not so much about whether or not they, their sniffer works. There's actually a really interesting study that came out a while ago that found that pugs outperformed German shepherds on an odor discrimination task. So really? like, <laughs> it is not at all about like the bloodhounds have superior noses or anything like that. Like, you know, it's it's really we're looking at the dogs that are easily motivated and have the temperament to work with us. Um, although we do look at some kind of physiological traits as far as like, we probably wouldn't work with a pug just because we're often covering miles and miles every day and those little stubby legs and short nose and, you know, kind of bummer of a breathing system are not going to do a great job for us. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> while they may do well in a lab, um, for us out in the wilderness, we like us, the four of us at canine conservationists, we all have border collie mixes. Ah, interesting. Yeah. I was just thinking yeah. like. Pugs might be fantastic though for that for that like medical or laboratory sort of mm -hmm. application, right? Because then they don't totally to trek across the woods, but <laughs> they've got great. Yeah, sneakers. and they're not scary. You know, they're portable. They would have a lot of pluses, <laughs> I think, for something like that. Um, Definitely. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about a day in the life of a conservation detection dog handler. Yeah. So there's kind of two main modes for us. Um, mode one is when we're out in the field, which is probably what everyone wants to know about. And then mode two is when we're not in the field. We just finished up three months straight of field work, and we probably have about six months-ish before we go back into the field. So now I'm kind of in the really boring stage of 
grant writing, catching up on emails. We do a lot of remote mentorship. So it's a lot of time on Zoom. I also, as we mentioned, like I also run Journey Dog Training and that kind of provides additional financial stability in between the field work. So this time of year, it's um, while I love the content of my work, it doesn't necessarily look all that sexy. Um, although it is also paired with then making sure that the dogs stay in shape and that they're well-trained and all that good stuff. So I do get to do a lot of, you know, I get to take my dogs for a run later today and that counts as well. Um, <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. And then when we're in the field, um, generally there, it's going to be a super early morning wake up because dogs don't sweat. And when they're panting, they can't sniff as well. We're really trying to get up and beat the heat. Um, and that's pretty much always a factor for us wherever we're working. So we get up really early. We drive to our field site and then it varies a little bit. So I'm going to focus on our most recent project that I just wrapped up about two weeks ago, which was working on wind farms, finding dead bats and dead birds. Um, and there I'm driving out to the wind farm and I have a set of turbines that it's my job to search every day. And each wind turbine has like a hundred meter by hundred meter square underneath it um, that I get to pull up on my GPS and see where that's going to be. And then my job is to basically try to keep my dog and I um, within that square, cover it effectively and help my dog make sure that he's hitting all of the different corners of it as far as how the wind is flowing. When he finds um, a bat or a bird or whatever else it is, then it's my job to kind of come over, double check what he's got, because occasionally they'll, you know, they'll bring me to like a dead frog or something and say, hey, what about this? Um, and then it's kind of my job to say, no, uh, good try, but we're here looking for birds and bats. And then if they've found something, we play a great game of fetch, we throw a big party, and then I get to sit down with a data sheet and take down a bunch of, you know, boring things like wing measurements and what species it is and how long it's been dead and all that sort of stuff. Uh, fun fun and then we repeat so it's <laughs> it is it's funny because it's one of those jobs that like is simultaneously incredibly cool sounding um and like the photos are amazing and everything but like and it is don't get me wrong I love it but there's also definitely a lot of time that we spend just like looking at poop and looking at dead things and like um, <laughs> you definitely have to kind of get used to that and be okay with that just like you know a lot of a lot of stuff in the biological world it's a lot of bodily fluids and that sort of stuff <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely yeah, yeah no the uh, a, a good solid love of of science and all that goes with mm -hmm. it is uh, sounds like it's important here yep and a good pair of, pair of gloves yeah <laughs> definitely definitely a good <laughs> pair of gloves awesome well so how can people get involved and follow along with you yeah. So we're pretty active online. If you just kind of type canine conservationists, it's letter K number nine into your Google, you'll come up with us. Um, we're probably most active on Instagram. And then we do have coaching opportunities as well. So one of the, again, one of the things we're really passionate about is helping more people get involved in this. So we have um, a group coaching club through Patreon where people can kind of get involved, especially if you wanted to do like community science with your own dog. Um, and you just kind of wanted to maybe train your dog to do this and help out occasionally on the weekends with like invasive weeds or something, that would be a great place to start. And we also have like a full suite course. So if you were more interested in trying to do this professionally, that would be where to go. And all of that, again, you can just kind of find through Googling canine conservationists. Sure. Well, and and I, I would hope to, to kind of spread the word again from a life, you know, the life sciences perspective, right? Like how mm -hmm. it's an interesting way to kind of think out of the box and, and with some different detection methodology and whatnot. Yeah. That's, that's kind of exciting. So. Yeah. And I totally dropped the ball too. We do also have a free podcast. So that's 
really the best way to learn more because you don't have to pay us any money for that. And, you know, if you like what you're hearing and you're really feeling very interested, then you can start thinking about paying us money for more mentorship. That's always my first question when people reach out for mentorship is, oh, hey, have you gone back through the backlog of the podcasts yet? Have you, you know, do you feel like you're caught up on all the free stuff first before I'm going to go ahead and take your money for anything? (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting talking with you and uh, look forward to seeing where you guys take that in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.